0: To a new episode of the skeptically inclined science podcast, I'm your lovely co-host Evan. Uh, I'm your co-host Tom. Uh, It's good to talk to you again, guys. How are you, Evan? Good, good. Um, It's been a while since we had our uh, our normal podcast episode. It seems like since last episode, we have the great Mark Abraham's on to talk about the Nobel Nobel uh, prizes and the ceremony. So if you haven't checked it out, please. you can find it where you found this podcast right now. Um, it was yeah. a great episode and he gave us a lot of insights into the Ig Nobel Prize.
1: Yeah, we are not begging, but please check it out.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On today's episode, um, what are you gonna talk about, Tom?
1: So my uh my scientific news segment is um brain scans showing a spectrum of abnormalities as a consequence of COVID nineteen infections. So this is something that I've been looking in for a while, but never, I don't think I have a chance of speaking about it yet. So finally today. Then uh, we have a spooky Halloween story, one each, right? But I think we won't say what it is until we get there. And for for my main course today, I have a treatment used in mice that were sent to space and that treatment caused them to grow muscles. So it's an excellent episode for people interested in space and in muscle growth. So, if you are a, a watcher of the Expanse, which I am, um, and I read
0: the book as well, uh, I think this will be really interesting because uh, some of the stuff they go on about how they um adapt to space travel. So, it'll be interesting to see uh what is said. Uh, and today for me, I'm going to talk about uh, it intermittent fasting. So, I think this is a really trendy diet that a lot of people are using right now, and. I just want to see they actually did a study and I'm going to reveal what they found. Is it is it an actual good diet to use or not? And then my main story I'm going to talk about is about remdesivir. Uh, we had an earlier podcast about this, about remdesivir and it actually worked. And there was a new study that came out to say more concretely if remdesivir is useful or not. So I'm going to just talk about that and what they found. and. If it actually is being listened to by some experts. Uh, And yeah, we have some spooky facts as well. Seeing it is Halloween when we're recording this. So um, be prepared to be frightened, maybe.
1: (laughs) Yes, maybe. (laughs) Shocked.
0: (laughs) Or maybe just like, meh. (laughs) Um, So yeah, how are you? Anyway, before we go into the news highlights, how are you? How, How has your last few weeks been? Um I think okay. I think both of the countries we're in at the moment have gone into almost full lockdown.
1: Uh it is. It is almost full lockdown, although I am one of the essential workers. So um that's nice for me. I can I can keep doing my experiments. Uh I've already it was already agreed that I if it's possible I can go home for Christmas. So yay. Nice uh so this is nice looking forward to this you know and the work and the mood is like comes in and out in waves so yeah one day you feel better one How about yourself
0: yeah it's kind of um it's kind of the same as well i i had actually been off week work for two weeks actually as i was a uh, it was uh, i got notified i have the covid tracker app on my phone and i got notified as a close contact so I had to restrict my movements for two weeks, and I couldn't go into work. And um, yeah, it was a bit of a a debacle, about a bit of a mess. I won't even really go into it.
1: Yeah. Um, Can I just ask you one question very quickly? Yeah. Does it feel Does it feel good to abuse the social welfare system like you do? <laughs> what are you on about? <laughs> Cause like you always you always have a COVID scares so You never go to work, and yet you can afford accommodation in Dublin. So like, what's going on here?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, uh, I, I, it's I'm not I'm still getting paid to I'm not getting claiming off the government because I'm not going in. So oh, I'm okay. just a very unlucky guy, um, and I actually go. It's n- like you might. It's a good thing to get tested like multiple times. It's fine. It's not a bad thing to go do that. So I think this is how I justify it <laughs> to myself.
1: <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. You're getting almost as many tests as Joe Rogan. So hey, you yeah. see a pattern here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I do believe in the seriousness of it. I think he only
1: does it because he has to more than anything. Mm, yeah. Well, uh, oh yeah, I, was, um, I actually wanted to say something on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's a good thing that I remember it. So I'm not going to get into details because this is not a political platform, but I just want to share awareness that in Poland, the human rights are violated. And uh, I just want to make people aware of this. You can Google the entire story if you want. But uh, so that's not the point and that's not the place to describe what happened here. But basically... Women's rights are being taken away by the government in Poland. And you guys, if you're interested, please check it out. And I'm not going to encourage anyone to go out and protest because I'm not going to do it myself because of the current situation. But just spread awareness, be aware of what's happening. And, you know, the, the more people know, the more pressure is being put on the Polish government to make some changes. So this, yeah. is, what, this is all I wanted to say.
0: That's good. Um, good message. Uh yeah, next week I think by the time we upload this podcast, we'll know who the we should might know who the president of the U.S. will be, mm. the new president. So that's gonna. Do be... you wanna make a
1: bet? What? Do you wanna make a bet? What's the bet? I'm betting that Donald J. Trump's gonna remain as a president. I can bet you a tenner. <laughs>
0: God, it's gonna be interesting now on Thursday when we know yeah. and we upload this and people are like. <gasps> Did he know or is he wildly off? Uh, yeah, okay, I'll bet you a tenner.
2: Do you wanna John, do you wanna in on the bet? I'll jump in on that as well, but I think my bet is gonna be the same as Evans. I think we have the same okay. prediction. So we can make it more interest we can make it more interesting. I'm gonna say that
1: Donald Trump's gonna win again by the electoral votes, not by the popular vote. And then, I don't know if you guys think that Biden's going to win both electoral or and popular, or do you want to diversify? Well,
0: I, to be honest, like he only won last time, he didn't win the popular vote, so if he wins this time, I definitely can't see it being the popular vote. So, um, I don't think that's even, I wouldn't worry, I think Joe Biden will definitely win the popular vote. So, it's just if he doesn't get the co- electoral college, then he doesn't. Wayne in general, so I do. I think just to Wayne in, in general is a good enough bet. Okay, okay. Will we just go into our news headlines then?
1: Sure. Mm, um. Do you want to go first? Uh, I think I can. Just let me pull it up. Okay. So, <clears throat> okay. So back into COVID. We all know about the symptoms of COVID and what it does, but now there's more and more data coming out about. Uh, how the brain can be affected by COVID. And one of the uh, first symptoms that you can link to brain dysfunction or something like that is the the lack of taste and smell, right? This is all dictated by the brain. So as I said, there is uh, among many serious symptoms of COVID-19, there's the neurological effects. And it's not only limited to the loss of smell and taste, but patients also experience like seizures and swellings of the brains. Uh, they, they all have been already described, and um, there was a pool of patients. I think it was in UK. I think it was more than five hundred patients. Uh, they all got they all got the EEG scan, which stands for the electroencephalogram, which basically records the waves of your brain. And they discovered some uh, not something irregular. Like, not least. regular. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, uh, and they just, they, they, the doctors are worried about this. Of course, the, the patient pool that they have was rather old. Um, the median age was 61 years old. But this kind of fits in the pattern of what people are, which people are the most susceptible to COVID-19. And um, and basically, the patient's EEG shows scans shows a whole spectrum of abnormalities in brain activity, including some rhythmic patterns and epileptic-like spikes in activity. And the most common abnormality noted was diffuse, diffuse showing, which is an overall slowing of brain waves. Ooh. So, um, so that's, pretty, that's pretty interesting. But what does that and, mean? Uh, they, uh, sh- so basically what it means is that in the case of the COVID patients, uh, this, this slowing of brain activity and brain signaling, because basically that's what it is, the brain shoots neurons, and it's just this whole process is slowed down. It could be due to the uh, uh, inflammation, widespread inflammation. So the whole body is in the in the phase of increased inflammation because of the presence of the of the virus, and that's all, and that inflammatory storm affects brain as well. Oh, and this oh, is how they kind of oh, trying and...
0: But what does the the slow brain waves are the slowed um, does how does that manifest? Does that mean they they like? Can think slower or react slower or, you know think slower yeah, is so, this is, yeah <laughs> so
1: this is the this is the confusion delirium dizziness oh, that okay. people experience and um and this was they actually did they actually zoom in on what part of the brain is the most affected and it was localized to the frontal lob of the brain which handles executive thinking tasks such as logical reasoning and decision making so the part of the brain that is responsible for reason (laughs) is the most is the mostly affected by the uh, by the covet so that could explain certain things why people behave in certain way i suppose you know when they have COVID. COVID. yeah they got COVID, but they could be asymptomatic but their brain is messed up anyway Mm. and you know you're giving you're giving them
0: too much excuses
1: and you know, and out of the sudden, they became anti-maskers. They <laughs> start proclaiming that Earth is flat. You know, I just see connections everywhere. But in <laughs> uh, in reality, I think it's I think it's yet another thing that we have to investigate the uh, long term effect on the brain uh, mm. because of the COVID. And um, yeah, these uh, it only, it started with uh, you know loss of smell and taste, which is mm. probably very irritating. But now we we hearing about you know confusion, dizziness delirium and these these things can manifest themselves like weeks and months after you being like cleared of infection and this is also very interesting
0: it's very weird like uh i i don't think there's any other virus like that where you lose your taste and smell and you can be fine otherwise like it's it's very weird Uh,
1: not that i can think on the spot right now and
0: like do you know you don't know how is it that because of the virus itself, or is it a
1: reaction to the virus that causes that? I think it's the I think it's the consequence of the body response to the virus. Oh, that's
0: weird. So why 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 that part of the brain is affected? It's just an interesting thing to w- thing to try and find out. It would be understanding that. Yeah.
1: What's so spe- What's so special about the frontal lobe that is being the most affected part yeah. of the brain? Yeah. But like, especially uh, the
0: at the beginning, why the that part of the brain that has taste and smell why does that seem to be uh affected like why does the body seem to affect that part of the brain like usually with normal cold you don't it's not that evident just because uh, you don't it's because you have a blocked nose or whatever so yeah it's a weird yeah playground. um okay so for my news headline Um, It wasn't, it was recently enough, I don't think it was in the last week or so, but uh, a new study was uh, published to see, is intermittent fasting as great of a diet method as thought? So, you have experience with this, Tom, you did intermittent fasting, what do you think? I
1: I did it for six months, and um, the first two weeks were the worst, but I think it's because my body were gotten adjusted to like the starvation periods. But I was overall I was feeling great and the only the only reason I stopped it was around the same time I got the PhD in the Netherlands so it was like I didn't have a time to stay on my diet because it was like I was moving out and stuff like that but for the 6 months that I was doing the intermittent fasting I was feeling good I think I looked better and I had more energy to spend in the gym mm.
0: Um, so yeah, maybe to explain to people what intermittent fasting is. So so that it's a a popular time restricted diet, which involves fasting for twelve hours or more a a day. So usually people either skip breakfast and eat all their meals between roughly noon and eight pm, and that results in like this daily sixteen hour fast. Um, did you, what times did you do it? Did you do the same like twelve noon so, to
1: eight? You no, know, I did, I did. Two two days of full starvation and then five days of normal eating.
0: Oh like okay. not,
1: not not like overeating on the days where I wasn't starving, but just normal calorie intake and on my starvation days I had Oh Just water five or six five hundred or six hundred calories. Oh okay. So you could still eat a yeah. little bit. E- yeah, but okay. that, that was like I think that was like 24 hours. So I think 650 calories. That was like, I didn't eat breakfast. Then I had an egg for lunch. And then after work, I had some like greens and maybe another egg and whatever grams of chicken uh, that, you know, fit the the calorie intake. And that was it pretty much. Yeah. So
0: there is kind of different ways you can do as Tom did, like you five days normal, two days fasting, or you can do it this way, which is... 7 days a week but it's 16 hours fasting 8 hours eating. Um so yeah, no one really ever had done a study to see if this actually worked. Most of the data previously came from like animal studies or s- much smaller populations. And most people say it works because you're allowed to eat you're allowed to eat what you want within a narrow window of time which leads to fewer calories consumed. So what the study did was to see if Diet could be a simple prescription for people to lose weight. So they recruited 116 overweight and obese adults and split them into groups. One group was the control was told to eat three structured d- meals daily. And the other group was designed to eat all their foods between noon and 8pm. With only non-caloric beverages like tea and black coffee permitted outside that window. So what do you think happened? Do you think they lost what was it more significant?
1: Well, they, they started off with the group of overweight people. And I think if you put an overweight person on a restriction calorie intake diet, they will lose weight. So I'm just going to say that, yes, that there was a weight loss.
0: Okay, so they found that the overweight adults who were assigned the 168 diets gained almost no benefit from it. Over the oh. course of the three-month study, there was an average of around... One kg loss, only slightly more than the control group, Uh, and as well as this, most of the weight shed was not body fat but lean mass, which include muscle. And muscles, not something you want to really lose when you're dieting. Um, and while this is normal when you're fasting, they found that the the treatment group lost more than normal. Um, and there was speculation maybe because there was less protein being consumed. Perhaps that was why they were losing more muscle mass. Um, so it was cautioned that the st- they, they, one of the critiques of the study was that maybe it was too short for a weight loss trial, that it, because it was only twelve weeks or three months, and they needed to include more participants because it was only one hundred and sixteen. Um, generally, they what they say is when you're on intermittent fasting, you should be eating less than three hundred to five hundred calories fewer per day compared to n- your non-restricted diet. So this is. Uh, how you should be losing the weight over time, but I don't know exactly how few calories compared to the control group they had.
1: I see. So I did it. I just set myself a calor calorie intake threshold, and I wasn't going over this threshold. And these guys just reduced the calor, they reduced their meal intake by three to five hundred calories. Is that what they did? Well,
0: no. This is what you should be reducing it by, but there wasn't an aim to reduce it It was just like okay you can eat whatever you want during this time
1: period well Uh. this is not like but this is not that like this is this is not how you do it then just because you have a feeding uh, window let's call it feeding window which you can eat if you're gonna stuff your mouth with like simple carbs and donuts and bread and everything else you're not gonna lose like you're not gonna lose weight this is not how it like when you have your feeding window, you should be, you sh- what, should be, what you should be eating is like a protein-rich food and, um, and fat-rich foods. Like you should, I don't think you should consume that many carbohydrates because you're trying to force your body to use fat as a source of energy and not, not carbohydrates. And if you add to it like a, a, a regular exercise regimen then you need like the protein to, to, to kind of build up the muscle that you are breaking through the exercise. Yeah. So just if, if you don't, if you just like in your, if you, if, you, if you have just a feeding window and then you eat anything and whatever you want and you don't, you don't exercise with it and then you just measure if you lose weight or not, but that, that deceives the whole purpose. Mm-hmm. And you also, they also shouldn't be eating at night because like this is where the most of your starvation takes place. You sleep through it, like you't don't, you don't eat it, you don't eat, so you stay, you stay empty over the night and then you wake up in the morning and it doesn't take that long time before your your feeding uh, window opens up again. I think there should be like a de- like a definitely a nutrition a person who knows about nutrition. involved in studies like that. That's why I usually stay away from like nutrition science because it's just so hard to in- interpret it. But yeah, from what I'm hearing right now, I just don't think that they, I don't think they checked all the boxes while designing the study, and maybe that has influenced the results. Look, I think for yeah. this
0: study, they just wanted to see for overweight people, if they reduced the, did intermittent fasting on its own, would that be good enough compared to like having to do exercise as well? Um, but like, I think for future study, they need to, I'd say more people and more groups, more including um. More, well in just including i think exercise as well and they should have calorie counted yeah so i just thought it was an interesting diet so maybe maybe do a bit more research if you're planning to do this kind of diet while you're in lockdown but i don't know does anyone really care about yeah. dieting right now okay so before we do our spooky uh maybe our spookier weird or creepy science story since it is appropriate okay so do you (laughs) want to tell us about your uh yes i'm
1: ready so when you told me to think about a spooky story i was like wow okay what what should be the adequate thing like a spooky halloween story so um the first thing that came to my mind it was the 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 story when um, when the uh, nobel prize winner in medicine drank the jar of helicobacter pylori and he developed the or ulster but i just like okay this is not really that scary this is just taking science to its extreme but what i found is uh, a dancing dancing plague i don't know if you heard about that oh
0: i think i have heard a little bit about it
1: but go on so basically um almost 500 years ago or no 500 years ago in 1518 one woman in stuttgart one woman started marching to the beat of her own drum. She just started dancing in the middle of the Stuttgart. And in the weeks that followed, more than 400 people uh, from surrounding villages joined her. So everybody just started dancing. And, um, and they died. Uh, most of the casualties were because of exhaustion, and, but others died because of a heart attack and stroke. And it's funny because the 1518 case wasn't the first... A dancing plague it happened before in 1374 i think it was the first time uh, they recorded it and there was like many ways to explain like what happened um like the people were people who are alive now in current times they're trying to explain like ha- what what could happen this dance thing because what these people it? dance without stop and one of these things was that there was a mold growing on a ray or wheat that they were eating and the mold was uh, psychedelic so oh. they just all fall into like a drug-induced dance. But then they did, the, they did the studies on this type of mold. And it was shown that when you take it up, it kind of clogs up your veins. So you're not even that able to move. So that kind of, they scratched it off as a possible reason for them to cause this thing. Uh, the, other, the other thing was that they were all part of some cult. But people... According to the records or archives that are from back from 1518, it was said that these people were like begging to stop. So it didn't look like they were doing this voluntary. Yeah. So they couldn't stop dancing. They were begging other people to stop, to make them stop. But like they just couldn't. So this kind of also scratches the idea that they were all part of the cult. Yeah. Because if you're part of the cult, you're kind of doing it voluntary. Seemed like like this was involuntary. Yes yes and and so finally what people kind of seems to agree the most which is the that it was just a ma- case of a mass hysteria just people yeah. just panicked because uh, around the time around 1518 in Stuttgart there was a great famine there was just you know great famine people were starving on the streets it was it was not pretty and you know just seeing this maybe horrific images every day triggered something some sort of Uh, panic or stress response and body just chose to start dancing Mm -hmm. and then somehow this 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 panic this state of panic had to spread to other people it sounds so weird and not believable but yet it did happen and this is the most logical quote-unquote explanation well it does sound um like yeah when you're in your hunger induced
0: state of mind um and you're not thinking straight and then to see people dancing around you, and I don't think you're maybe consciously aware of what's going on. So it does seem yeah. like uh seem like a uh, could have, it could be
1: explainable. That could be. And one. as as I was reading it, at the start the people were like, "Okay, just let them dance it off." So like they would start playing music to help them dance it off and stuff <laughs> like that. But like after a few weeks, that didn't help. So they just. They restrain them and they send them all to some shrine near Stuttgart. You know, pr- asking God for help, yeah. but they just died of exhaustion. Which is like, and they they, they don't. And it has apparently it hasn't happened since fifteen eighteen. So it's so weird. Imagine mm-hmm. you just wake up one day, you start dancing, you <laughs> do it for a couple of weeks, and you die, and you don't understand why. Yeah, but it's for weird. Me, it's a bit of Adele, a bit of a Taylor Swift. Yeah. I can dance
0: all night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of that um have I would say everyone's seen Hocus Pocus. Have you seen Hocus Pocus? Yeah. And when the yeah, the witches cursed them they have to keep dancing. <laughs> yeah. It's not like everyone's just like, haha, that's so funny, but then you're like, Wow, this was this could have been what happened. But they never yeah, got the, like f- the
1: curse lifted or whatever. Or the spell. 400 people Yeah, maybe there was a spell and then they burned all the witches because I think the Spanish Inquisition came right after. They burned all the wish- witches uh, and there's no more dancing plagues. So yeah. I think that's proven now. Yeah. It's a great, it would be a great movie. <laughs> we see these responses these days as well, you know, uh, like people panic and they start doing like yeah. silly stuff and other people mimic them. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it's, uh, you feel stronger in a herd, yeah. I suppose.
0: Yeah, we've seen that with the, the hoarding in, co- in the COVID-19 times. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's yeah. like, I need to do the same.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. so yeah, that's I thought that was um weird, a little bit spooky. Yeah, that was to this strange. day we don't know what really caused it. Yeah.
0: Mm. Well it kind of in a similar, more like psychological spooky vein from where I'm coming from. Um uh, I just wanted to talk about this. So this is a psychological or uh, uh, problem, and it's after it can happen after a stroke, or you can be born with this. It's a phenomenon known as prosopagnosia, also known as facial agnosia or face blindness. So I just seen this. I thought this is kind of very weird. It'd be a weird one to have. So it means that you cannot recognize people's faces. So. It often affects people from birth and it usually is a problem a person has for the most of their life and it can't really be treated either. And it can have a severe impact on everyday life. Um so yeah, they're not able to recognize family members, partners, or friends, and they can sometimes not even recognise themselves in the mirror. It's a bit weird one. That's why I was like, that's kinda of crazy. So yeah, they they usually Cope by using alternative strategies to recognize people, such as remembering the way they walk or their hairstyle, their voice, or their clothing. But they don't always work, especially when maybe they meet in an unfamiliar occasion. And often, that these people have to avoid social interactions because they get embarrassed very easily because they won't recognize people that come up to them, and they can get social anxiety because they're like, "Oh, do I know this person or not?" So it's like mad in a way, like that you can't recognize them just by looking at them like their face
1: so if they look at the picture or like let's say picture of friends or family so they don't know anyone on that picture because they probably might not recognize themselves and might not recognize other people
0: yeah yeah
1: and if they would it may be the hairstyle they'd be like oh maybe that's that
0: person they wouldn't know from this looking at the face i wonder
1: if they can create memories
0: yeah, this is the thing they say they have bad memory because they can't remember the face. They don't know who the faces are, so they mm-hmm. wouldn't know that part. They wouldn't remember. Oh, we did. I did that with so so and so. They wouldn't remember. Oh. Uh so oh yeah, God. I think they'd have struggled to um to to design memories or have memories. Um, Imagine. Yeah, and as well, like they can't recognize certain facial expressions. They can't judge a person's age or gender even. Maybe that'd be useful in these times. <laughs> 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 <Yeah. laughs> and, uh... <laughs> and they can't follow a person's gaze either. We all should become, like, able to become, like, pros, pros, prosopagnosia people.
1: I thought you were gonna say we all should become prostitutes for a second. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. Um... <laughs>
0: yeah um yeah but it and it's as well it's it's mostly um it's most often that you're born with it and these people kind of adapt because they don't really realize and they don't it's not really identified until they're adults but it can also happen when you have a stroke and i think that's a lot more um stark because you're you normally could recognize people by face and then suddenly you're like oh i can't uh, who uh, who are all these people so that's a bit more shocking so it is a bit crazy to think you could wake up one day and not recognize someone in your house. It's um, a
1: bit scary. That is scary. Yeah, it's scary. Really. Because then you kind of feel like you're all alone in the world. Yeah. If you yeah. think about it. It's a, it's
0: weird. It's a weird one because it's just like you're so... It's such a obvious thing for your brain. Like, oh, that's their face. That I can recognize, basically. It's just like, what do they see? Like, what do they not be like? Oh, they have certain features or whatever they just is it just like a blank face or just i just wonder how their brain is wired yeah crazy um (laughs) yeah and there's actually do you know stephen fry yes he he he's a he has this condition and he said yeah he he has he can't recognize faces he was born like this so he wasn't like he had a stroke or anything um and he says that it's funny because when he's sometimes stopped by relatives in the street that he goes into autograph mode because he thinks that they're fans. And then he, it's very embarrassing for him when he realizes, oh, no, they're actual people he knows. So that's yeah. what people like this have to deal with in a way. So I thought but it I was think, a pretty uh, cool but kind of scary uh, disorder, I suppose.
1: Definitely scary. And I think you just answered my question because I want to ask you if there is any... Um any impairment in cognition or in like you know higher level thinking? I don't and think so. That's I the thing they say
0: that uh, generally you're, um, yeah, you're, you're not, you're not impacted. Your your intellect, intelligent or anything else is generally okay. So I suppose maybe that's why it's not so obvious as a diagnostic disorder.
1: Yeah. Well, Stephen Fry is a very smart person. Mm. So, um, but that's crazy. Well, it's crazy slash scary. It's crazy for me to hear about it, but if I were to experience that would be super scary. Mm, yeah. Not being able to recognize you, cutie pie, that would be the worst thing oh, ever. Thanks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just sometimes though maybe I don't maybe I purposely build to, to have it when I see you and I'm like, "Oh, who's I don't <laughs> know this person." <laughs> maybe people have selective selective uh <laughs> oh, <laughs> when I this happens. People who have selective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that was our spooky facts. Um, and I hope you all have a good Halloween as well.
1: Um, yes. And enjoy it responsibly. Good socially distanced Halloween.
0: Okay, so we'll just go into our main stories then. I can start, I suppose. Okay. Can we just say that we're joined by John for this episode, back from episode three. He's going to okay. give some insights and to, to Tom about... What he thinks of your story so just to okay. add that in if you hear john it's why he's here <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay so hi hi john um as i was hi tom as i was saying there was a lot a lot of space exploration happening um in 2020 or maybe the space gets more coverage in media. But anyway, we have the landing on the Mars, we have the uh, Venus um, biosignature in the atmosphere, and now recently we have the water on Moon, right? Yeah, that's right. I think everything is heading towards like a space exploration and long- and maybe colon- colonization in the next 50 to 100 years, I'd like to think. And um, and what I like this, t- this paper, which is titled Targeting M- Mayostatin Actin-A Protects Against Skeletal Muscle and Bone Loss During Space Flight, is uh, what I like about this paper is because they take something that have been used before and they're trying to apply for a completely new situation. So this, uh, this paper is about this this drug, which is called ACVR2B FC, which is This is a decoy receptor, uh, which I will get into later. But basically, it catches a protein that normally causes uh, inhibit you from developing muscles, so inhibits muscle growth. This specific molecule, this decoy receptor, is used in patients who experience chemotherapy, because when you have when you get chemo as a cancer patient, your whole body goes to waste, uh, your muscles and your bones. So they use this receptor to kind of mo- to kind of um, detect all of these proteins responsible for inhibiting muscle growth. And once these p- proteins are cleared through that uh, decoy receptor, then your body doesn't get this inhibitory signal, and it can grow muscles. So this is very good for cancer patients when they have chemo, because, you know, you don't go into ataxia. Can so, I ask, so uh, what does a
0: decoy receptor do? How does it, like, remove these proteins that are responsible for...
1: Okay, so this ACVR2B slash FC, basically it's the the ACVR2B part is the receptor part and the FC is the part of the antibody, of the tail of the antibody, if you remember just the the image of the antibody. And uh, normally this ACVR2B receptor is present on the the bone and on the bone and on the skeletal muscles. And it attracts a protein called um, myostatin and active in a so it a, is a shared receptor and when the myostatin jo- uh, binds to that receptor the signal is sent down and it inhibits muscle growth it, it it wouldn't allow you to grow muscles so this protein it's a kind of competition so this this uh, this fake de- uh, receptor competes with the actual receptor for binding of the pro- of the protein so it's a, it's, um, a, it's a it's an antibody that will bind and clear from the system it, there is a part of the antibody to it, but it, it it's it's like the the main the one. Think about it as a two parts, and one part is in the receptor molecule that binds the protein, yeah. and it it only has the um antibody tail. I don't really understand why they attach the antibody tail to it, but mm. <clears throat> it's not it's not like an actual antibody against the protein. It's a ligand.
0: Oh, okay, so it's this an
1: act- this ligand will bind to the this protein and then it gets cleared from our bodies that's how it works yeah and because it's not the protein is a deep because the receptor is a decoreceptor is not attached to a cell yeah even when you bind the protein the signaling doesn't travel downstream towards the nucleus so basically it's like yeah it's a fake receptor that doesn't by and when the protein binds to the fake receptor, there's nothing happens. Yeah, I
0: think you know. I think the reason was probably why they added the, It's called the FC part of the antibody, so that's mm-hmm. the tail. I think it was probably yeah. they added that so it wouldn't get cleared by the body before it got um being able to bind to the protein. It's a um, so it okay. has a longer half life. I'd say.
1: Okay, well that could be a yeah. That's a very good observation. So with that receptor, as I said, it was used before in other scenarios. But now, uh, as I said, with all of this space exploration, it seems reasonable to to use that in the in space because astronauts experience something what it, which is called microgravity.
2: And um, I don't know, John, do you want to say something about microgravity? Yeah, um, it's not exactly the absence of gravity. The astronauts, for example, on the space station, experience little gravity, um, but to them, it's effectively the same as no gravity. So they will very easily lose their muscle mass when they're not, um, you know, spending as much effort moving around as they would on Earth or keeping themselves yeah. upright uh, due to the force of gravity.
1: Yeah, so exactly. That's, that's what happens to the, to the astronauts there. They just start losing all of their muscle mass and bone, and bone uh, mineral density. So the bones become a little bit more fragile. So anyway, this what happens in this study, they took uh, 40 mice, they sent them off to the ISS <laughs> for a month from the, um, from the 5th of December to the 7th of January, my birthday. Four mice. So the mice were there. Of course, they divided them into groups. They were, all, they were like wild-type mice that didn't get any treatment. They had the mice that was missing the MS, the myostatin gene. So that was like the positive control to see what happens to the muscle growth. And they also had the wild-type mice that is treated with this uh, decoy receptor, because that's what I'm going to call it from now on. And obviously they had like a, a gra- they had like a representation of what's happening in space. They had a representation of what happens on Earth, just to see uh, the differences. And uh, they opened up the paper saying that in the wild-type mice, the, the effect of microgravity for the month that were in space, it was they observed total body loss overall, and certain muscles were affected, and there was quite dramatic weight uh, muscle weight loss. And then when they look at the control, the positive control for the mice that lacking the gene, they noticed that even though they were in space, the, the mice keep gaining more muscle. So they were getting quite opposite effect to what was happening to the wild-type mice. And although the muscle gain wasn't as big as it was on Earth for the same type of mice, they were still gaining muscle. And finally, the mice were injected with this decoy receptor. They showed that a lean body mass in ground mice increased by 11% in just 12 days. And in the mice in space, it increased by 27% over 22 days. So at at the day 22, they had like a measurement day so it was like a dramatic increase like 27% in muscle and uh, on this part they concluded that overall muscle weigh, weight in the in the receptor decoy receptor treated mice were lower than in the uh, in the ground mice but overall there was a significant increase in muscle growth in the setting of the microgravity so that was something that was something good, but um, because I already mentioned that this decoy receptor is not like an antibody, so it doesn't have a specificity only towards the uh, myostatin, it also has a specificity to our, towards the actin A, and what they show with the actin A is that mice that had this decoy receptor injected to them, they also ex- the, the mice experience also better bone prevention. Because the the wild type mice and the mice that were lacking the myostatin gene, they both both experience both groups experience loss in the bone mineral density. So you know, for the myostatin negative mice, your muscles are growing, but your bones are getting fragile. So you know, it's at some point there's maybe your your bones won't even be able to hold the muscle weight. But the mice that were treated with the 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 receptor, it was shown that the uh, the, the, the bone mineral density and bone mineral content were preserved, not to the same level as it was on the mice on earth, but at the level higher than the normal threshold is. So it was, uh, was advantages for the mice to be subjected to that uh, treatment. Can I and ask, I can- um,
0: like, do the mice have to like they're just doing getting muscle and growth from doing nothing are they doing like do they have that? no I mean, mice exercises or whatever but i don't know like it just seems like they're doing they're just up there chilling in space and
1: they're gaining muscle is <laughs> that how it, it works n- well they they are well they are kept in microgravity so i don't think they can like run they, they don't they don't behave the same way they would do on Earth, right? Because I think they are suspended in this free fall mm. thing that microgravity is. Because I think if would if they would like put them in the artificial gravity place, that would n- n- that would mitigate yeah, the, yeah. the purpose of the study. Yeah. So I think they just like suspended there and they just maybe they have given some task. It wasn't explained, but I think for the most of time they just like chilling. I would was
0: the and was the board in that? Cr- uh, decoy group was the mo- the bone density the same in on Earth as was as it was in um in the space. Do you know? There were uh, I think the overall results were always better on ground on Earth. Okay. They so were all okay, the, so it, the yeah. space never um it wasn't just because of the space abs- abs- aspect aspect. No, like lack of gravity that the this was happening. It was happening in both with gravity and microgravity. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, but the, the differences in the muscle growth in the muscle gain and bone protection and mo- bone protective aspect, the differences were not of statistical significance between uh, oh. in the in the group that was subjected to the treatment. So, um, and also what it, what was another thing that they did really interestingly was the to look at the effect after the return on Earth. So they had a couple of mice that was not treated with this in space, but they brought them down to Earth. And uh, on Earth, they've given, they given them the, the same receptor because what they notice is that astronauts, even when they come back from, from the International Space Station, uh, they keep having the effects of the microgravity. Uh, they can experience the effect of microgravity on Earth after they landed. So, in fact, the mice that were not given the treatment after landing, they, they didn't experience any more uh, muscle, muscle loss, but they experienced bone uh, resorptions so the bone were they kept losing the minerals but in the group that after landing got the treatment so not in space in space they had they didn't have treatment they land them they got the treatment so the the muscle the muscle stabilized itself as we know but they, they also observed that the bone resorption rate is much lower than it was to the to the mice that didn't get the treatment so overall there is like a, there is just a protective kind of spell around the around the animals that have received the treatment either up in space or after coming down on Earth, and um, I think that was I think that was pretty cool. and Also, within the within the paper, they go in deep into like uh, which molecular uh, patterns they suspect or upregulation and downregulation of different proteins which is interesting in its own, but I don't think I'm just going to, I'm not going to get into like different cytokines, which were higher and which were lower. I think the main impact of this paper is that um, there, is a, there, there, is a, there is a chance for having a, 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 some sort of therapy for uh, astronauts that spend prolonged time in space. And after they come back, they also shown that prolonged use of this treatment doesn't disturb the chemical balance of the body, because they tested it after one week and after five weeks of exposure, and uh, they did like a heat map to see which one, which proteins are upregulated and which one are downregulated, and it was pretty much the same profile between the one week exposure and five week exposure. So you know that with a prolonged exposure, there is no some dramatic changes or shifts going one way or the other, which can happen with pharmac with the with with drugs that are given to people. So. I think it was the first study that I have heard that had, like, aspects done in the space, which is, like, pretty cool. And um, I think, I don't know if it is, I don't know if this is going to replace, like, all of the exercising equipment people have in ISSS. But I think what they paint, what they mention here in in this paper is that when the colonization of the extraterrestrial planet starts, people not going to have time for regimen exercising every day to maintain the mass and bone ma- uh, bone uh, mineral content so these kind of treatments would be beneficial for them because you know your your muscles stay the same uh, and your bone your bone is being protected from uh, from basically a breakdown so i think this is uh, this is pretty cool i didn't um, i would not have found this paper by myself it was suggested to me so, yeah, John, what, what do you think about chemically induced astronauts in space?
2: Well, I can't really comment on the, the actual the chemistry and biology of it. But I, I think even for the astronauts right now, they're not traveling to Mars, for example. But even on the space station, it would be quite useful for them because I think they spend two hours a day each on the treadmill and on the deadlift machine. That's a lot mm-hmm. of time they could spend doing research, you know. Um, yeah, and I know the the exercise itself is probably studied, and that's research in and of itself.
1: I found it surprising that um, that you can even send send mice to space, and it was actually I think the, it, it says on the paper that it was the SpaceX 19
2: from uh. So is it the SpaceX the Elon Musk SpaceX? Is that what they yeah say? yeah um, they ha- they have regular cargo resupply missions. I don't know. Did they when was this study done? The study itself was published August 4th, 4th, 2012.
1: And the study itself took place between December 5th, 2019 and January 7th, 2020.
2: Okay. So, yeah, this would have gone up on one of the cargo resupply missions. So this wouldn't be on the human-rated spacecraft that SpaceX have, but the the cargo Dragon. Uh, They must have had some kind of... um, you know, breathable environment that the mice were stored in on the trip up because I'm I'm not actually sure. I think, I, I don't know if the Dragon cargo capsule is habitable. I know it's probably kept pressurized, um, but I'm sure they had some kind of equipment to keep the mice alive on the way up. So, hold on. So there was no people on it? Uh, No, the first uh SpaceX mission that launched people, there's only been one so far. That was the... Dragon 2 demo mission back in the summer, um, where the two astronauts went up on the first test mission of the human rated yeah. spacecraft. So, yeah, the mice, if they went, if they didn't go on that one, uh, which it sounds like they didn't, then they, uh, you know, went up on the cargo one without people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. Cause I'm just, I quickly, I quickly typed in SpaceX 19. And it is, says here that there was a Dragon caps- capsule, C-106. Uh, Dragon successfully returned to Earth on 7 January 2020 after a month-long stay at the ISS. So that must have been the same, uh,
2: the same thing. That's quite likely, yeah. Um, another comment I had about, your, you made a comment about uh, when, they, when astronauts begin colonizing other areas of space uh for example if astronauts are going to mars they'll have more gravity than they do on the space station so they probably won't need this drug or uh, treatment in as high amounts because you know they won't be losing their muscles or bone density in as yeah with as high rates but uh the trip there takes about six months so they will need something to keep keep them going while they're on the the trip i guess
1: Okay, so it, could, it actually could have made more use for being as you are on the spaceship traveling mm-hmm. rather than once you get into the planet.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, maybe okay. there would be use for it while they're on Mars because there's less gravity on Mars. So they would oh, need to okay. do more work to maintain the same amount of muscle they would on, on Earth. But okay. um, it's not as much of a difference compared to the amount of muscle loss they would have while in space on the way there
1: okay that's cool I was thinking that maybe um, also if this drug doesn't seems like it doesn't have any uh, any prominent side effects that they were able to detect it, it could be a nice candidate for
2: uh, for like a, a kind of a performance enhancing that's what it sounds um, like to me uh, in my very little knowledge of that kind of thing um, I, I would just ask why couldn't you just gain a lot of muscle at once just bodybuild for a <laughs> year and then just take the drug for the rest of your life and maintain that state <laughs> indefinitely <laughs> yeah yeah
1: just maintain the state and start competing in the bodybuilder expedition um, bodybuilder um, expose You still need to do this in
0: humans yet yeah, it's still only in mice so it's still a long way to go yet but it still I looks mean, promising. I mean,
1: it was tested in humans. Was it? For the cancer patients.
0: Oh, so... But, but yeah, but in this context, I suppose, maybe.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But, y- in, you know, In is astronauts. A, I think there's a, there's a substantial difference between, like, saying, like, we have to start from scratch and saying that, like, we already have some data, obviously from a completely different uh, population. Like, you, I don't think you can send suffering from cancer into the space is, is like it's not trying but like at least you can you can look at some aspects right um of how the body respond re- responds to it and the fact but it's that, it's um, interesting
0: then why didn't they just do it in i suppose they couldn't just because astronauts are very valuable <laughs> yeah just like okay well because it just seemed if it was already using humans already then and there was no serious side effects why didn't just go ahead and try it And i suppose they don't have a lot of candidates at the moment
1: i think i think with every drug that you're trying to use for a different purpose than the fda has approved it first okay i think i think you have to you have to go through the regimen of um, tests because otherwise would it would be a label yeah john
2: in the case of astronauts there would be even extra even more scrutiny when they're determining what they need to give them like they they plan what foods they eat down to the you know, the the very ingredients, so it would probably go under more scrutiny than it would for humans yeah. on Earth.
1: Yeah, I would imagine. Like it's not it's not like the astronauts are like the bunch of lads from Armageddon when they just get injected with anything and send off to space. Like I think these lads are they on the strict regimen of what they can do, what they can not do, and if there's like a uh, some hesitation into how the treatment would respond in them, I think the safer option for them is not to take it then take it and then experience some yeah. side effects
0: yeah. 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 no that's it's really cool um it's very futuristic i suppose yeah because i'm reading um do you know the the what i was on about earlier the expanse the tv show uh yes yes and uh yeah I'm re- it's based on the books that i'm reading as well and uh like some of the things they detail in the book sounds kind of similar in a way, because when they, yeah, when they go into high G's, they have to use like a
1: cocktail to try and so they could survive it. Uh, but yeah, but what I like this paper is the taking something that has already been used and kind of readdressing it and putting it into a different use. And I can fall back on the Chris, on the CRISPR um, discussion we had, I think it was two episodes ago for the vision again you had the crispr yeah. that was designed to do something else and they kind of twisted around and try to apply it for a different thing i see the same mm. thing happening here uh they just kind of re they, they take this molecule and they trying to un- they trying to solve a different problem mm. uh with it so i think this is really interesting like kind of um like don't ever think that just because something is used for one thing and can't be used for something else, like, you know, this is when you have to, like, this is being a kind of a scientist all about as well, to look for opportunities. You don't have to come up with stuff from the scratch, but when you have, like, a really, when your mind works like a sponge and you, you absorb information and you can, you can have a helicopter view over, like, the whole thing, then you can see, then you can connect dots and see how different things can be utilized differently. And I think this is what part of being a scientist and doing science is about as well. Okay, so that was a really
0: cool story, Tom. Thanks for that. Um, Thanks, Evan. So, yeah, any budding astronauts out there, maybe this could be something you might have to use in the future. So, um, yeah, so for my story today, then I'm going to talk about, again, revisiting in a way uh, Remdesivir. I talked about this in episode two, I think. And. Um, Mhm. So if anyone hadn't listened to that episode basically I was kind of a bit skeptical about Remdesivir and the the papers and the trials that they had used uh in validating um how effective it is in treating COVID-19. Um and basically now it's come out that uh it mightn't be as good at in treating COVID-19 as they I previously said, so can I can I be a bit smug right now?
2: Mm-hmm. I knew <laughs> it. What <laughs> did I say? Congratulations,
1: Evan. What did I say? Yeah, you said it that it's probably not as good as they uh as they claim it to be, mm. and uh, you also mentioned that there are more straightforward opportunities to um, to tackle the infection. Well. But you, yeah, you weren't happy with the here. Yeah, so, so give credit ju- where
0: credit is due. Thank you. Predict a lot of numbers next, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, so the what happened was though so the news was that that it was the Who's solidarity trial. I think I mentioned this as well in that episode that they were going to look and do more thorough testing of Remdesivir. Uh as well as that they tested as well hydroxychloroquine and uh what was the other drug they looked at? Uh lob La- lab- lob and interferon as well to see like mm-hmm. so they had four drugs they wanted to check and it showed that uh, the drug remdesivir had little to no effect on a 28-day mortality and did not delay the need for ventilation or shorten patient stay in hospital. That study it's still only available as a preprint but and hasn't been peer reviewed just yet but this is just um early release. And it included more than 11,000 adults in 405 hospitals across 30 countries of whom 2,750 were randomly allocated to receive Remdesivir. So um, as I mentioned before Remdesivir was, pr- it was developed by Gilead Sciences and that had got $70 million, uh in funding from the US government. And it reportedly costs around um two euro per patient and although researchers at uh university of liverpool have estimated that the cost to manufacture the drug and achieve a profit was only roughly basically a euro per dose <laughs> so the amount of markup is crazy on yeah. this drug that uh, this is and they were using this to their advantage to like if if you came out with something that ac- looked a little bit promising could hike up the price and make serious profit on this um, COVID-19 pandemic Um, so the paper itself uh, it looked at yeah as I said the four different drugs and they found that they had none of them had effect on hospitalization or overall mortality but one of the one of the thing is now that the FDA still has approved remdesivir for adults and children who need to be admitted for COVID nineteen treatment, and it's still the fir- and it's been the first drug that the FDA has approved to be used in treatment. Oh, well, it's a kind of a bit unusual that this trial has come out that says it doesn't have any effect, but the FDA has still approved it. There is um, a there is a.
1: Sorry to interrupt you here, but there is a discrepancy between FDA and WHO, and I think I've heard it somewhere as well that WHO says that remdesivir is not as good, and then FDA says it is good. And I think it's it's uh it's because of the heavy involvement of politics into American mm. science. The FDA,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but the the FDA,
0: what they they had used three randomized controlled trials to support their approval. Um, and I think I had mentioned one of these was this was in the last episode, and they had said that, um, uh, what did they say? It was yeah, it was in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it reported that patients who had received remdesivir had a median t- recovery time of ten days, whereas fifteen days in the placebo group, um, and that they were the estimates of mortality were six point seven percent were remdesivir, and then 119 percent were the placebo. Um so and then the the other second study was a trial of adult hospital patients but again it was only 191 patients and it compared if the using remdesivir for 5 days and for 10 days and this was actually run by Gilead Sciences so of course <laughs> it's a bit on un- it, like it's always a bit of a suspicious they're involved yeah, suspicion. and they found that the symptoms improved significantly more in the 5 day group compared with the 10-day group and then the third trial was of hospital adults with severe COVID-19 and it compared again a five-day with a 10-day course and it found that the odds of a patient's nineteen symptoms improving were similar in both groups but that the recovery and mortality was the same so I don't know why they included that as the they say, I think there's still was showing that the remdesivir was... Actually, no, on this trial, actually, it was just looking at five days versus 10-day treatment, and they said that it, it did there was no difference between the two if you use five-day or 10-day. And there was a difference in administration, right, between the five-day and 10-day? Yeah, well, in in the second study, they said that five days had a better... had more significant effect, whereas they in this third paper, they said there actually wasn't a difference, so...
1: And did they... Is there are you aware of any trials comparing um, the steroids? Stuff I don't remember the name of the steroid you mentioned, but y- uh, you were quite positive. Of, yeah, you were quite positive about this. The steroid. Is there anything that shows Ramdesivir compared to to the uh, to the alternatives? Or is it just focused on Ramdesivir? I
0: don't think there
1: is, but like, like t- I t- I suppose um,
0: it wouldn't really make sense to compare the two uh, in a one trial because. Um. Oh, I think at this stage we already know dexamethasone has has an effect, so it's useful, especially I think more in ventilated individuals. Um, but I think to it wouldn't make sense to compare remdesivir because they're kind of two different drugs. So I think these this is for this solidarity trial they want just to see Mm. uh, these four different drugs and if they would work. um,
1: President Trump was. um, President Trump was given a lot of compliments to remdesivir. He was yeah. saying like it's a it's a great drug. It it got me up. It, it cured me and then this isn't this is not what we seen in the in no. the trials coming out. No. Um,
0: so, it was yeah. interesting like uh, it, in the in the results as well, like the the risk reduction for Remdesivir was zero point nine five. So it was slightly uh one would mean there'd be no difference between um the standard of care and remdesivir mm-hmm. so 0.9 it was a slight reduction but it obviously wasn't significant hydroxychloroquine the risk reduction actually went up a little bit um, with that but we already talked about that drug anyways mm. uh, lopinavir the risk reduction was 1 so it didn't have any effect and then interferon was 1.16 again it was a little higher Um, and then if you lo- One of the things that people were commenting about this paper, though, was that it actually used a 99% confidence interval. So basically, uh, if it was a significant difference, it would need to be very high for it to be seen. So this is one of the things they had commented about, maybe that they should have used 95%, confi- 95% confidence intervals to see. And actually, one of the things they had said, someone commented that, the difference in the effect of remdesivir on mortality between ventilated and non-ventilated patients would likely to be considered significant if they had used a 95% confidence interval. So, in a way, they could have maybe not had such high uh, interval range because then you could maybe miss out on if there was a significance.
1: So Um, they they said more stringent statistical analysis with a 99% uh, confidence interval. Okay yeah um and they still but it makes sense sorry yeah keep going <laughs>
0: yeah and it's just and one of the things is what they, when they they don't seem to have stratified them that much the populations because um i think if it doesn't really have an effect on young people it wouldn't be as big of a deal because um not many young people have to get ventilated or have to get oxygen therapies generally they can recover normally so didn't really work in younger people it's not that big of a deal it's merely in older individuals and i don't think they didn't break it down as much what they had done was they looked at uh, um less than 40 50 to 60 and 70 plus but anyways one of the things they showed as i said hydroxychloroquine they said was actually 1.19 the risk reduction so kind of was up it's actually interesting that the even though it wasn't significant in people that were 70 years or over there actually the risk reduction was 0.8 so it actually had a really um it it wasn't significant but there was still a decrease in um the the mortality rate in this age, in this age population if they had taken hydroxychloroquine um and this was the same as well in Another drug, the Lopin- lopinavir. Again, mm-hmm. it wasn't significant, but there was still in uh, individuals that were less than fifty. The risk reduction was zero point seven seven, so it was actually um quite useful in reducing the chances of mortality in this age group as well. So yeah. um, it was interesting. Like there's, it actually did some good analysis to show break it down by age and see um because yeah maybe uh it can have different effects in different age groups so
1: yeah and i think it's a good idea that they just stop. so it was the 40 people and less yes that was the age bracket the last the last yeah yeah so it was 70 50 60 and 40 sorry
0: it was less than 50 my fault that
1: was it less than 50 yeah because if you st- with, especially with the covet if you start making the age brackets like narrower and narrower I think you might run to the problem when you don't have y- you don't have enough power in your sample mm-hmm. sets because yeah. obviously the age group that is mostly affected it is the plus 50 I would say and if you if you start going the on the other side of the 50 lower and lower there be you just gonna run out of enough samples to have a, to have a, to have, a, to have a, so your power will be high enough you know yeah yeah uh, so I think it makes sense to kind of group the the 50 and 50 and less together which is not the most ideal but if you want to achieve the the high enough power to make your study from one angle relevant then this is this could be a way to do it yeah so and it's just interesting if you look at the
0: they have that um the kaplan meyer chart you know that chart they usually use to look at mortality if you look at the verb desire versus the control Uh, it's literally like their two lines are like if they were drawn over each other like there's no (laughs) nothing it's not lower at all um so So
1: there's no difference that's what it says yeah yeah well we
0: that's what i I said but it's just crazy to see that like how they found no difference but um, this other studies had found a difference so Um, i suppose maybe mortality mightn't be the best maybe if you wanted to look at Ventilation, but they say actually they said ventilation wasn't affected.
1: So, um, just general recovery. So you don't spend so much time in the hospital. Yeah, would be like the recovery rate would be good enough so you can just you can be released from the hospital quick enough. That would be like a huge advantage, right? Because the whole thing is like not to put don't don't put don't don't socialize because you might put too much stress. On the healthcare system, so yeah. if from that you would be proven to kind of get rid of the people from the hospital quicker, then that would that would that would be something, yeah, that would be something good. Yeah, um, but it's still I yeah, mean, it's
0: just it's just interesting um, how the FDA still approved it. I still thought it was um, crazy that they still went ahead with it even after this. Would would they have not waited? for, the they actually did wait? Oh, well, I uh, why they didn't wait for this. Uh, trial to be published and decide maybe then we shouldn't use it but I suppose they're under serious pressure right now they have to actually approve a drug to be used for it because
1: at the moment they haven't, that was, this has been the first one they have approved so yeah, you um. have to do something you, Like you have to show that you're doing something which mm. is not necessarily the best thing from the like a strictly academic and scientific point of view but with the response to pandemic, it's it's not only science. It, there's like loads of other factors that you have to you have to f- you have to count in as well. So yeah, maybe 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 they just had maybe they felt pressured to release something, mm. and or maybe they were pressured to release this kind of statement over any other type of statement. You know? Yeah. So um, and especially when the government had put so much money into this already
0: and. They'd be like, okay, we want you to approve this because we put so much money in already. I suppose it's not the first time that I'm sure this has happened with the government funds a, a no. drug, and then they 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 put pressure on the FDA to get it approved because they want to see some kind of uh reward for their or um yeah interest from the their investment. So
1: yeah and it's definitely beneficial to being as we wait as everybody's waiting for the vaccine to come out uh if it's gonna come out it, it is very beneficial to be able to say that like we have a drug that doesn't necessarily protect you from getting an infection but we have something that actually helps you fight the infection quicker mm. like especially in the period where you're like so uncertain and you're still waiting for the vaccine any type yeah. of vaccine yeah i like the like, FDA can Yeah, so my point was like, it's just beneficial. It it is beneficial. Society can have sense of security knowing that the the government claims that there is a drug that can help you fight the infection as we are waiting for a vaccine to come out at some point. You know? And especially now that America now has hit a
0: record cases. um, Set a record for new cases in one day. (laughs) <laughs> um, like hundred thousand cases, that's insane. Like, um, but are they setting are they setting records every day? <laughs> well, it, this is just like a new record now because yeah, um, like it had been going down, but now it's spiking up again. So, do they it, break down by states? I don't I don't know exactly what states okay. it is, but it seems to be more. I I think it's all in the Midwest states, like, um. But yeah, it's just it's just mad that I suppose they need to have something in a way to fight it. But I, it's just like it's just th- this is the wrong thing to do because they're u- they're approving the drug that's shown that doesn't work. So are they just wasting people's time, um, giving them a drug and, park giving elite sciences money, um, when it's not they're manufacturing something that doesn't even need it, that doesn't work. So yeah. it's kind you of can, dangerous. Like it is,
1: it is dangerous that that this is happening. I mean, you can you can say that first of all, people are being lied if they are being when they are being told that mm. romdzivir does help. Uh, so you, like you 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 lie into people, and the second part is to to kind of uh, validate your lie. You would have to put fundings into research of rom-desivir that has already been shown that is not really effective. So consequently, you taken away the valuable funding and resources from other uh, yeah, ty- yeah. parts of research that could have been completed but now yeah. there's no and money other drugs
0: it. that might be worked actually could work yeah could be sidelined because they're like oh this is a drug that used by the FDA that works I must I must I think for the next if I can find more information I would love to find more about this experimental drug that Trump got that I think is produced yeah. in in our, I heard it might have been produced by a pharma company in Ireland um so that's definitely something i want to look at the next time but and see if they're any, do any more research but i think this was just a nice uh another continuation of this whole drugs that are that i had discussed earlier and i wanted to mention it again like what what's happened since and
1: it's kind of interesting think sorry no go ahead that's all i wanted to say i, w- I was gonna say that this could be this could be the scariest story we tell today yeah maybe a halloween team <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. unintentionally this could be the scariest one because yeah. it's so real and so palpable especially right mm-hmm.
0: now yeah yeah so anyone out there see what <laughs> i'm just like if you're if you're in the hospital ask what drug you're gonna get and then just say oh i've heard i'm a skeptical of that remdesivir <laughs> I heard from Evan. <laughs> yeah, I listened to this
1: podcast.
0: They're like, "Oh my god, um, what, what's what, what weird right right-wing podcast is this that he's the station <laughs> is listening to? They're giving them fake information." I'm like, "No, I did the research." So, yes, yeah, we ha- we have no. So wins, we'll see. We'll way. see how what what else if anything else comes to this. But I think yeah, more drugs are definitely going to need be needed uh, until a vaccine is needed is a vaccine is developed because uh it seems like cases are spiking everywhere and hospitals are filling up quickly over the winter months so we'll see what else the fda might approve
1: i think i'm gonna i'm gonna dive into the vaccine sometime soon um Mm. yeah because as as you said it is a Especially now with the resurgence of cases again and this whole chaos around the vaccines, we kind of, I kind of didn't follow it that well now. So I don't know, at what stage are different trials and how is it looking? What is the um, vaccine scene looking right now? Well, they're saying so that
0: we'll be- um, this Pfizer, um, this Pfizer vaccine is going to be the the, fr- the front runner now. That they reckon that could even by the end of next month it could be approved. So. Um and i i remember when i did talk about the vaccines in a pre- the previous episode i mainly focused on the moderna and the uh, mm. moderna one and i kind of had mentioned the oxford one but i barely mentioned the pfizer because i was like oh i think it was the front runners were the oxford cambridge one sorry i'm saying this wrong the cambridge one jesus please don't uh attack me for <laughs> getting them mixed up again but the cambridge <laughs> one with astrazeneca and the the Moderna one, I thought they it was a shoe in between one or the other, but now I was like, where where is this Pfizer one coming out of? And I think even Fauci had been talking about it as well, the Pfizer one. So okay. yeah, definitely, I would like to see because I, I maybe I haven't just been aware of it. Have they published any details about what their trials have looked like? Um
1: Unlike the other two. Yeah, something to look into it for the next episode. Yeah. Well. If we're talking about the next episode... or Unless you have anything else to say about the uh, remdesivir No, that, sorry. that, w- that was it. No. Um, so, uh, well, I mean, if right. I can... I can already give a little uh, taste of what I will be... Uh, tantalize about the p- audience. <laughs> sorry? I said tantalize the audience. Oh, yes. I will be... So, it's going to be something very personal for me. Um, I'm going to be talking about stem cells. Again, uh, and this is close to me because I work with stem cells. And, and this time, we, I'm going to try to see if stem cells can be used to actually grow teeth. Like a normal bony teeth that you can put into your mouth rather wow. than having implants.
0: Wow, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, okay. because I, I am losing teeth and this is very personal <laughs> for me. And if I could grow teeth using stem cells, I would love to do that.
0: Yeah nice you can be the first candidate (laughs) i I would sign up for that (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um yeah i i'll have a look i'm not sure exactly but i i want to do look at the the pfizer maybe the pfizer vaccine or this new experimental drug that trump had
1: been using in his miracle recovery it seems if you if you undecided just uh, we can make an Instagram poll, yeah, and then maybe we can see what people like yeah. to hear more about. And I might uh, we still have uh,
0: maybe some surprises in the next episode or two about another guest. So please stay tuned. Okay, yeah, stay tuned, guys. Surprises coming your way. Have a nice Halloween, Um please be sensible. Don't have parties. Just try and don't put watch a scary put, movie. Uh, and enjoy the night with whoever you're with or even on your own it's great
1: yes don't put drugs disguised as candy to children because <laughs> drugs are really expensive and you shouldn't just give well, them for free to people
0: like <laughs> 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 kids shouldn't be going to <laughs> treating this year so you can if they, yes. if they do maybe that's a good like, thing to, like to punish them
1: uh well they tr- just throw nuts and apples at them from the window.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or just give them fruit, yeah. Then the, that'll <laughs> teach them a lesson. Maybe don't give them drugs. <laughs> okay,
1: so uh catch you on the next
0: one. Catch you on the next guys. Stay skeptical. Bye.